and welcome to Arrest Armamix. My name is Ben Talon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing, guys? Welcome to the big 100th episode. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's been a joy. I'm just going to get straight to the chat. It's been an absolute pleasure doing these shows for the last couple of years. Um, so thank you to anyone who's given me a listen, a share, criticism, praise, anything at all, any contribution, because it all helps shape this ramshackle creative innovation show. So cheers it really does mean a lot supporting it because it wouldn't have been possible without the encouragement that i get from everyone the feedback on a weekly basis on the social media channels the wonderful guests the talent out there that makes it an absolute joy to champion creativity and and the great things that are going on because fuck knows we need it right now um you know we've got government in power who i've said many times on this show i believe do not appreciate creativity do not want independent thinking and it's part of the motivation to go out and do this thing and, and add this to an already busy schedule. And for that reason, I've been able to go out and get some of the greatest minds I've had the pleasure of meeting in my life so far. So thank you to everyone involved on every level. Uh, keep listening, please. I'm considering making the show every two weeks to give you guys a little chance to digest it better. Let me know your thoughts on that. Uh, we're approaching Christmas with this first episode. So the second part of this special with Olivier Kugler will be... On the 2nd of January, uh, just after Christmas, to ease you into the new year and hopefully inspire you some more to get you going for 2018. So thanks again. So the weather this week is soup kitchens, super grasses, New York City, the Reaper Barn in Hamburg, refugee camps and beautiful reportage illustration because it's Olivia Kugler coming up. So like I said, two-part special, a long-standing inspiration of mine, reportage illustrator. Um, artist, I think he crosses a lot of boundaries Yeah, it's hard to give him one title because he is simply Olivier Kugler he does what he does, it's very iconic work he tells stories, he profiles people, he gets under the skin of, of their lives and their journey and he presents it in a stunning fashion um, so I came across Olivier's work back in 2003 when I was studying uh, he was part of an early set of inspirational people that I bought into something about the aesthetic of their style. I loved the energy in Olivia's work, the loose line drawing, his pencil drawings um, that he fills with colour. But more importantly, the content, the graphic information going on there, the, the reportage, the story that he's telling with these pieces, I found it inspiring. I thought it opened up a world to detail these people who, to, on the face of it, are everyday people in the street, but... As we know, every single person has got this awesome, unique journey, and I felt like he's one of the best out there for bringing that story um, into our conscious, I suppose, and presenting it in a fashion that we can digest and just looks stunning. More recently, Olivier has been doing some, in my opinion, some massively crucial work. So he's been spending time in refugee camps, Um talking to people about their experience about their lives there about their journey uh we're going to get more into all this soon but i quickly just got to thank my sponsors um big thanks to these guys because they again they've made it possible for me to do this free every week to reach 100 episodes so without them it just simply wouldn't have happened um illustrationweb.com my agency very supportive team Big champions of the creative industry, representing a hell of a lot of artists on their books, from lettering specialists to fashion illustrators to live workers. Um, they've got the lot. Go and check it out. Beautiful roster of talent. Fantastic news section on the site, getting you a little deeper under the skin of those projects and doing great work in the industry with fellow supporters of the show, the Association of Illustrators. So go and take a look, illustrationweb.com. Big thank you for getting me to this milestone. Heartinternet.co.uk. Similar thanks goes out to those guys tech sponsor um they do everything from domain names to web hosting to seo advice to social media tips and they provide a digital tip every episode so this tip i guess is born of recent personal frustration and, and i found myself wasting too much time um on my phone on my laptop on my desktop no matter what it is twitter instagram facebook very valuable tools but when abused when they become an addiction becomes a very destructive thing and that started to happen to me recently so i made the conscious decision to start scheduling these things again and not becoming so responsive to them because i think if you're constantly checking there's always something to see and there's always something to hook your attention and break the flow of what you should be doing creatively so my point is less is more and i think 
Um, Olivia is a fantastic example. He's barely on these platforms. He actually asked me some advice because he felt he was a little behind with his digital marketing. But it hasn't stopped the workflow, and he's, he's still prolific. Uh, he is who he is. He's built his name without these tools. And I think there's something to be said about that. So I've started to put my phone on silent in between work periods now, checking in just at lunchtime and after work and scheduling the stuff that I need to do on there. And you know what? I never feel like I've missed much. That might be different for you. You might disagree completely. But I just urge people to consider some of the points that come up in this interview with Olivier about the way he's seen the world, the way he's in the moment, the way he's travelled around and taken notice of what's going on around him has been such a pivotal crucial part of his journey and and learning to see it through his own eyes and represent it as such and I think without that um, I ask him the question if he'd had smartphones back then would things have been different and he gives his answer on the show so we've got that to come but my tip is less is more use it so use it sparingly make it work for you that's what I've started to do recently I've started to remember that this stuff is to help me not to hinder and I think it's worth bearing in mind so that is courtesy of heartinternet.co.uk so Olivia Kugler, um, actually before I get on to Olivia, I hope you enjoyed awesome recent guests, Graham Wood, uh, Kate Forrester, Kim Bowsen, Jay Taylor, loads. I mean, I mean, go back and just check out the catalogue, revisit a few episodes. I always, I always re-listen, I always re-hear something the second time over. So go back and look at the uh, the fantastic archive of people who've helped make this show special. I'm not going to start naming names beyond the recent ones because there's so many, and I'll forget people, and it'll just give me something else to feel guilty about with this stupid empathetic brain that I have. <laughs> so there you go. So thanks to everyone who's taken part in the show. Go back and listen to the archive. So, 100, without further ado, Olivier Kugler. Like I said, the man has got stories. He's got stories pouring out of every orifice. He's a legend in my eyes. He's doing really important work in these bleak, slightly bleak and dark moral times. And I think his work storying these refugees has a way of humanising them. So I found it absolutely crucial. So that particular aspect is going to be coming up in part two. But part one of the show... I wanted to hear the journey. I wanted to know Olivier's background. How did this style evolve? What is his inspirations to tell these stories? And how did he get into this photojournalism, sorry, illustrative journalism? And um, and how did he come at it from such a point of, you know, I mean, there's characters. There's We're talking gangsters. We're talking homeless people. We're talking people that you might feel intimidated to approach and draw. So he's going to tell us all of that great stuff about his origins, his roots uh, for out of Germany to London via New York and all the things and all the people he met along the way and how that journey happened. So it's fantastic inspiration on that level and I think it's crucial to hear that arc. Um, and it will take you up until the point when he started to work quite prolifically with The Guardian during the golden age of their illustration use and the assignments he would be sent out on and we'll get you up to that point and then part two we're going to pick up uh, with Olivier's sort of more ad- you know, he, got, he basically went global so he got out there, he went to Africa he started to travel worldwide and get into these huge big assignments like the refugee work and we're going to cover all that in part two so thank you again to everyone who's been involved and got us to this big 100th episode thank you to the sponsors for their support uh, illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk uh, I give printed.com a little shout out who were a former sponsor of the show but did a great chunk of work to get me here too so thank you to them thank you to the Association of Illustrators and to Arts Thread, to fellow supporters also and just to anyone who shared a show commented enjoyed listened told a friend please keep doing that i want to grow it and get it to 200 in a big emphatic fashion so i don't see why it can't be one of the biggest shows out there that's got to be the ambition right so cheers guys thank you so much and enjoy the conversation part one with olivia kugler so where are you from originally i'm from a small i was born in stuttgart in germany and i grew up in the countryside, in a small village close to Stuttgart. It's a mm. place called Simonsheim, and it's at the edge of the Black Forest. And um, yeah, it was a very sheltered kind of upbringing. It was quite nice, you could just leave the house, yeah. go playing with your mates, and yeah. stay out until it's dark, and you'd run around in the hills, and build little houses in the trees, and camps. And yeah, it was, it was great. I went there for the first time recently in the Black Forest and I found it really quite <coughs> beautiful. I, I hadn't realised how green Germany was yeah. um, until I, I did a little camper van tour. 
Oh, beautiful. And the image of, actually, I did actually think, well, wow, I wonder what it would have been like to grow up here as a kid, because I had a similar thing, but I'm like a, a woolen mill in Yorkshire, you know, so yeah. quite different, but similar sensibilities. How was that? Was that, a, was it just, do you think that was a healthy thing for you to? Oh, definitely, yeah. And, um, yeah, my, my mother, she's French, so on our summer vacations, we usually went to Brittany in France, and we always made a stopover at my grandparents' house. Mm. They live close to Paris, and um, I guess from from this time on, I already got very much interested in, in traveling and um, seeing new places, and um, also in the, the French comic books, the Bon Dessiné. My mum, I think I was seven or eight years old when she gave me as a Christmas present a Tintin comic book, uh. and this kind of. I think this put me on, on the path to what I'm doing now. Mm. I guess this was, was one of the most important kind of, how do you say it, triggers. Yes. That, yeah, that put me on the path and made me do what I'm doing now. And um, yeah, and on, on these trips to France, because when, when you, you've been in France, you know, when you go to a gas station, they've got more comic books mm. in, in a gas station or a supermarket than they've got in a big kind of big bookstore here in London. So I was very early exposed to, to great French graphic novels. Yeah. They weren't called graphic novels then. But the, the Bon Dessiné, I was very impressed by, of course, by Berger, by Tintin, his, his Tintin books. Um, I loved, no, it's not Blueberry. I don't know if you know it. It's, uh, it's um, illustrated by Jean Giraud, the guy who also became very famous under the pseudonym Mobius. Mm -hmm. and he did science fiction comics and I, I loved his work and um, for a long time I, I copied his, his western comic books and yeah. tried to do my own western comic books but I yeah, was kind of started off tracing them and then I started to draw from the books and I quite enjoyed this for a while but it was very frustrating because he's he, he died a couple of several years ago and he used is the best, probably the best graphic novel or comic book artist yeah. that ever lived. And I, yeah, I almost got frustrated because I, I my drawings were crap. <laughs> I was maybe 13, 14, and uh, my father, he's, he's an artist, and he also taught um, art. And uh, when he saw that I main business that I really want to learn how to draw. He told me that only you, you will never learn to draw when you copy your favorite comic book artist. You need to start to draw from life, draw what is around you, draw your hands, draw, look in the mirror, draw yourself portrait, draw your shoes, whatever's around you, your friends, and, but don't make up drawings mm -hmm. and subject matters that you don't really have any relationship with. So um, I, found this very boring at the beginning just drawing my hands and but after a while I got into it and I could see how I was making progress my father also gave it then as a birthday present uh, a voucher for um, life drawing classes at um, local kind of I think it's called it's Volkshochschule in, in Germany it's a kind of a adult further education mm. place and, and I went there we I think it was every Wednesday for a year or two years. I went with my dad in the late evening to these life drawing classes, and and I thought it was great sitting in a room with with I was the youngest there, I think, and they were all kind of older artists, and they were very focused on, on drawing the, the human figure, and I really got into it. And again, I could see how my work was getting better, and mm. yeah, and I, I did this then for for a long time. It's funny, isn't it? I, I, I think a lot of us do that. I think I think you go straight to what it is that interests you, even though you can never know what it is. But it's like a very subconscious thing as a child. You're drawn to it. You don't know why. You don't even think. You don't even want to know why. It's, you just like it. It's, yeah. it's a very pure thing. And then, like you said, something happens. You know, you, you can't continue down that path for a while. But there are underlying motivations yeah, yeah. to why you were drawn to that. Yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned Hergé. Um, it's a very similar thing. And I found those illustrations larger than life. Like the yeah, they were one frame, but the world within that is just something opened up. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I'd like to, like to know the numbers of people that had that experience through Tintin. Well, it's probably every French person. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an every Belgian. Mm. Yeah. 
yeah, they're amazing, and they still I, I still look at them. Yeah, so usually when when I visit my parents' house, my, my old kids' room, I still have all the books then. Yeah, I, I still look at them, and it's nice, especially when looking at them before you go to bed, because it puts you back into the kind of childhood mood. Then yeah, back then when everything was, was still easy, <laughs> and um, yeah, and they're still they they they're still great. Mm. They even become better the more often you yeah. look at them. Yeah. So what, was there a point when you, when you started to consider that this might be a line of work, a profession? It, it took a long time. I guess from my early teenage years, I really wanted to do that. And I couldn't really do anything else. Drawing was always the, the best thing um, I could do. And um, so I... Yeah, when we were at school, when we were 15, 16, and we were supposed to think about our careers uh, my first idea was I, I told my dad I want to become a comic book artist mm. and he just kind of did this with his shoulders and um, he <laughs> looked at me and said yeah, it's, it's really really hard business and first of all you can't study this in Germany there's, there's no degree and uh, because he's an artist he also told me it's, it's a really really you say an hardest sport in Germany is, it's a hard bread it's a hard way to earn your money as, as an artist yeah. was an illustrator so he recommended me to study graphic design because the training is very similar to the training an illustrator would get mm-hmm. and so um, I applied at um, a school of applied arts I'm not sure if this is the right translation in Pforzheim in the southwest of Germany it's a larger city in the Black Forest and they had and I think still have a really good graphic design degree that is based on um, doing the basic kind of the foundation year. We, we draw a lot. We, I spend most of my time in, in the life drawing classes. I'm also supposed to paint. I hardly painted because I didn't like painting. But I spend most of my time just in a dry, uh, line, uh, life drawing class, just continuing my observational drawings. And um, so, yeah, I'm lucky. I applied for. To get into school two times, I also wanted to go to the Arts Academy of Fine Arts in, in Stuttgart. And, but my work wasn't just good enough, I, I wasn't mature. And um, so after I finished my, my school, my, my school training, I had to go to school for 13 years. And then I had to do my military service, I spent 15 months in the Navy. And then I started to apply for further education for, for the graphic design degree mm. and I got turned down twice I got turned down another time at the Academy of Fine Arts and then um, I went to the to a private art school in Stuttgart it's called the, the Freie Kunstschule and this is the school my father went to as well before he started to get a, a proper degree and this was a, a great school I, I spent a year just learning how to draw, learning how to see. We spent whole days just drawing a, a bottle of beer or a bottle of water or really large on an A2 sheet mm. or maybe even an a, a, A1 sheet. And, and our teachers, they were quite pedantic. They told us, sit in front of the thing and look at it and construct the bottle, draw all the ellipses. And, and they were checking on us if, if the ellipses were... Do you say ellipses? Yes. If, if they were drawn kind of with the proper rounding and, and freehand and, and it was quite a, a tough tough time but it was, mm. was really good it taught you how to draw and to, to see it was, was the same in the life drawing classes they made us do obviously the very short poses where you just draw maybe for several seconds and then several minutes but then also sometimes you spend the whole day just drawing one, one pose on, on a large sheet of paper and then everything had to be correct the proportions and also kind of the angles and, and everything and then yeah, no, I think this helped me a lot with with, um, with what happened later then yeah so I, I got into the graphic design school my, my portfolio was good enough and um, I studied there four and a half years and um, in the fifth semester I had the chance to go to Georgia to Athens in Georgia in the US and um, because the, the school was, was a partner school of my, my school and um, yeah, I spent two 
I think two trimesters, seven months out there, and we had a great illustration teacher there. His name is Alex Morowski. And um, back then I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do illustration. And, and for me, illustration was illustrating books. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to illustrate, I read The Lord of the Flies back then. And, yeah. and in my illustration class, I wanted to illustrate the story. And um, I started to do drawings, sketches, and I showed them to Alex, the, the teacher. And we looked at them and he kind of, uh, my heart broke. That's <laughs> <laughs> mm, not that good. And um, but I brought my sketchbooks with me, and um, I've been doing drawings in, in tattoo parlors and in coffee shops in Athens. And he asked if he can go through the sketchbooks. He looked at them, and he really liked what I was doing. And he told me, "This is what you need to do. You need to continue drawing location, draw what's around. Yeah. You, you've got the talent for it." And then he introduced me to the work of uh, Alan E. Cobra. Yeah. I don't know if you know his work. I, I do, through my research now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely wonderful. Like I was quite blown away by the concept, and I can immediately see... Yeah, his work is amazing. He, he used to be a drawing teacher at the University of Georgia. And he left, I think, just several years before I went there. I would have loved to have had him as a teacher. And he did a lot of drawings in in old people homes, in mental health institutions. I think he also went into prisons to draw and draw there and he filled whole sketchbooks just with it. I think they were mainly pen and ink drawings. And they're very good observations, but they're also kind of a little bit not caricature, but but they're very kind of free life drawings, but on the same time very very precise mm. observational drawings and um as soon as I saw this work, I fell in love. It was also another tremendous inspiration for my work. And uh, yeah, it, it encouraged me to. And, and Alex told me there's a market for this kind of work. So, so I, was, mm. I was just continuing to do this work. And um, then I went back to Germany. I had to do my diploma then. And I decided to go to spend half a year or the diploma semester in Hamburg. I went to the Reeperbahn, to the red light district and the port, mm. port area of Hamburg. And I spent, yeah, I think, four four months just drawing day and night, 12 hours, 14 hours each each day. Yeah. Uh, went out, I went to tattoo parlors, to red light bars, to the Salvation Army. And, and, I, and I also went to the... I don't know how it is, still is, but there's also kind of a, a squatting scene. Mm. It used to be quite a, a very uh, rich squatting scene, and I spent time in the house with the squatters, and I drew them. And um, I could see then again how, within a short amount of time, my, my work was, was improving. Mm. And I was really happy with the result. My, my teachers, they were very... Because I was, in a, was doing a graphic design degree, we had a great illustration teacher there, Thomas Rothfuss is his name. He was very encouraging and uh, he was a great mentor. And uh, But other teachers, they were very skeptical of illustrations and <laughs> they didn't like the idea of my, my project at the beginning, but even they, when they saw the finished book, they were very happy with okay. it. And they, also, they asked me to do, because it is a graphic design degree, they asked me to include photography and, and text. Mm. So at the beginning, I just wanted to draw. But um, because I had to do text, I also started to interview people. I didn't plan to do this, I didn't want to do this, but I guess this also, it helped me with, with my development, what, what I was yeah. doing later on. Then. So um, this... Um, bum, bum, bum. Where are we? <laughs> yeah, the, the diploma it was, was very well received. I got the best possible mark. I thought, oh, I'm an illustrator now. <laughs> so I, I took that <laughs> book. I went to the book fair in Frankfurt. I showed my work around. I spent, I think, two or three days there. I saw a lot of people. And they all said, yes, if you like your work, you'll give us your number. You'll, you'll hear back from us. And of course, I never heard from them. <laughs> <back again. laughs> and I was quite frustrated. I started... To send out, I, I printed out the best drawings and sent mm. it to art directors of, of magazines and newspapers in Germany. Again, I didn't hear anything back, so I was really frustrated. And I, and I just applied for graphic design jobs, mm. Plan B. 
<laughs> I took the first best job and uh, I stopped drawing for yeah. two and a half years. It was quite a good job. I was working as a graphic designer in a small design agency in Karlsruhe. It's also in the region where I'm from. And we were doing a lot of um, design for small internet startup companies, mm. kind of corporate design. Um, yeah, enjoy, I enjoyed doing it. It was, was fun, but I was getting a little bit bored with it. And yeah. at the same time, after two years, a friend of mine, Peter Kinsley, who I studied graphic design with in, in Germany, he sent me an email. He got um, a scholarship to do a master's in graphic design at the School of Visual Arts in New York. And one day, one morning, I checked my email and got an email from him. And he wrote that he just met the MFA illustration students and um, he's seen their work. And it reminded me immediately of the work I did when I was in Hamburg, the, the drawings and location I did. And he told me the students there, they're getting encouraged to go out, to go to the fire brigade, to draw firemen, firefighters, and, mm. and just go out and, and draw real life. And um, I had to look at the website of the school and I saw the students work and also the work of Carol Fabricatori, she's the drawing allocation teacher there and I thought immediately, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. Mm. So I started to draw again, I spent half a year preparing for a portfolio and um, I applied for um, a scholarship from the German Academic Exchange Service and uh, luckily I they gave me the scholarship and I got into the school. So in the year 2000, I went to New York, spent mm. two years there and just drew on location for mm. another two years non-stop. Needs to, I forgot to mention my father. I think I mentioned briefly that he's an artist, Yeah. but I guess he was my earliest influence Yeah. because I, I grew up in a household where my father was painting and working on etchings all the time. So I've always been... Yeah, being uh, surrounded him, by this. Seeing, seeing his work. And yeah. So this was my, my major, the first major. To go back to, there's a few little things I'll go back to that you mentioned I found really interesting. And well, well, the first one was actually about your father. And when you said about, you said when I, I kind of indicated <laughs> I was serious about doing this as a career, that suggested to me that there was a lack of pressure in, it, in a good way, that, that you were given the space to, to be creative but never pressured. Is that, would that be right? At the beginning, it was a very kind of a free environment. It's what you do as a kid. You, you, yeah. you like it, you do it, mm. you get encouraged. And then, I guess when I was a teenager, I felt pressured, mainly by myself, because yeah. I wanted to see my work improving. Me too. But then also by my dad. He, he was very encouraging, but he um, was also quite critical. And he's still critical of my work, but it's great. And I can remember, I... I showed him drawings once of mine I think that the drawings of my hands or my sneakers and I was really proud of them and and then I, I put a very fancy signature <laughs> underneath it and my, my father just said Ole you, you can't do this this is ridiculous nobody you, you, you need to learn to draw first and then you can think about figuring out a, a fancy signature that's fantastic and I took this I was quite hurt when he told me that but I was thought yeah he's right <laughs> I think I'm brilliant. I love it. I so, love it. Um, yeah, he, he just, and I also remember him, and he still does this when I sit, when I visit my parents and I sit at my desk at the house and I, I work on something and he comes behind me and he looks over my shoulder and he sees me working. And I, he did this when I was a kid and I was told, oh my God, please go away, just let me draw. But he always gave me good, good tips on how to improve the work yeah. and, and I also saw him drawing the same things that I did. He, Sometimes sat down and drew it when I wanted to draw, like, I don't know, a bottle or something, mm. or a piece of, of wood. He, and he could see how it didn't work out for, for me very well. So he sat down and he drew it himself. And this also taught me mm. a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> that signature style is fantastic. But that you do, don't you? It's that, those teenage years are very, uh, they're very tough because we don't, you don't. We don't understand where this fits in the real world. We do it because we love it and we want to be great, but you, as, we, as we know, it doesn't happen that fast. You have to go through life and all these different yeah. obstacles. And so it's a very stressful time, but I guess, I guess it's a good thing in the long run that you were exposed to criticism early because you, would then be, you, know, you wouldn't be 
crestfallen when you get to university yeah. and you have critiques yeah. and things like this. You know? yeah, I think it's a good preparation because being an artist or an illustrator, you get down, turned down so, so often. It happens every yeah, that's, yeah. even now. Yeah. I'm quite successful with what I'm doing, but you still you get bad reviews of your book or things like that. And it, it hurts, but, but you kind of, you, during your training, during your career, you get a kind of a thick mm-hmm. skin. It's essential yeah. in our industry. Yeah, yeah you yeah. need it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is essential, yeah. But I'm, I'm really in, intrigued as to whether, as you mentioned, going into tattoo powers and mm-hmm. things, a lot of people would shrink into their shell at the idea of, of going into these worlds that could be seen as intimidating or, or sketchy, you know, like... I guess I love. I just love the idea of you going in there and sitting and drawing. This is how did first of all, how did people respond to that, and how did did you feel intimidated doing that, or were you comfortable with it? I was intimidated, and I was not too uncomfortable, but I definitely was intimidated. But I'm also curious, and and um, but I guess. Yeah, I, I set myself this assignment. I want to put the Reaper Barn, I want to draw the characters there, I want to draw homeless people, I want to draw people working in, in, in the bars and, and um, the tattoo parlors. So, so you kind of need to kick yourself and then just say, all right, and the worst thing that can happen when, when you ask them if you can draw them, they, they'll say no. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of people who said, oh, I don't want you to draw me and, and things like that. But, but you need to ask. If you don't ask, you won't get anything. So, um, and I'm, yeah, and I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm a shy person. From I've always been quite relatively shy, but I, I'm curious about people. I'm interested in the world. So I, I guess doing my drawings gives me a good excuse to be, to approach people. Yes. And yeah, to, to ask them and, and to observe them. Mm. And um, it became easier after a while, obviously. But it's still, yeah. it's, it is difficult when, when you sit in the room with someone, you, you've got to draw them, and, and they, you, you know, they're probably expecting a great drawing. And then, yeah. But the good thing is that you're also, you, when you draw people on location, you're very focused. You are not distracted. And I notice it with myself, and I work in, in the studio. I listen to the radio, I just the bloody internet, you always have to check your emails, you don't have to do it, but you don't want to do it, but for some humble kind of, you still do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you read, start to read something online, and you kind of, it's easy to get distracted. So, and that's what I love about the drawing and location, so you're really focused, you with the tattoo artist in the same room, and mm. he's working also focused, in a focused way, and you just do your thing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So how was New York? New York was great. I had a really, really good time there. Um, the teachers there were they were amazing. They were very encouraging and optimistic about your work. And in Germany was teachers were also very good and very, very critical. Sometimes I think they were too critical mm-hmm. and they put you down sometimes. But in America it was was the opposite. They were just they were so encouraging and they saw your work after the first semester our teachers encouraged us to they gave us email addresses of some of their clients and told us send an email send, send a kind of a small accordion book with, with your work send it to the art director of New York uh, New York Magazine for example and mm-hmm. um, we never saw the work our, um, my, my illustration tutor in, in Germany did he was very secretive about it. And in America, they were just the opposite. They spent the first two hours, the first time we met them at school, they spent two hours with a slideshow and they showed us all the work they did in their whole life, more or less. But it was great. It was really inspiring to see it. And um, yeah, they were very encouraging. And of course, also the, the fellow students. There were some amazing illustrators I, I studied with. And um, there was also, I think, a healthy competition. You were kind of already, you were not out in the open yet, but you were still already in, in a, kind of together with, with great, great artists. And, and um, it was kind of, yeah, it was very encouraging. It was, at the same time, it was, it was tough to see other students. They were starting to get their first commissions and they thought, oh my God, I want to get commissions. And, <laughs> but it made you just work even harder than you already did. And 
it was, was a really, really good environment. Yeah, and as I said, the, the tutors were very generous with their contacts. They, when, when they liked your, your work, they encouraged us to, to approach possible clients. And this is also the way I got my, my first assignment then. Mm. It was um, at the end of the first semester. Um, I showed... Yeah, during the first semester we could do more or less what we wanted to do. I did my drawings on locations. I went to bars and coffee shops um, on the Lower East Side. And um, I just drew the pencil drawings like I did in Hamburg and mm. in um, Georgia before. And um, I could see uh, again how the drawings were getting better. And during half term I showed the work to Marshall Arisman, the head of the program. And he said he, he really likes the drawings, but he said you need to find a way to color your work because you won't be able to make a living as an illustrator, as a black and white artist. And I was a bit shocked at the beginning because I thought, oh my, I always love to do just drawings and I tried to use watercolors and color pencils before, but I never loved, liked, really liked the results and it was also precious, probably too precious about my line drawings. I didn't want to mess them up. <laughs> so just totally neglected the coloring side of my work but then because I already worked as a graphic designer for two and a half years and during this time we used um, a vector-based based program called Freehand and we used this to do all our design work and um, I thought alright I'll just scan in my, my drawings and put them in layout them on the screen and then I just used Freehand to, to color my illustrations mm. and at the beginning I just colored them um, from memory I didn't take any reference focus of the scenery so I was drawing during the day and, or the evenings in the bar and then I went back to the studio scanned them and colored them and um, yes yeah, so I made a portfolio accordion book with, with these drawings and um, I sent them out to yeah, Mirko Illich one of my teachers there he told me I should send um, one of these these folders or one of these uh, accordion books to Michelle Pereira, the art director of New York Magazine, and, and she saw the work. And a week later, I got a, my first first ever illustration. Wow, job. that's and a big job for, for New York, for New York Magazine. That was was a um, and it was the perfect job for me at this this time at this stage. And it was a large job. She wanted me to do eleven illustrations, one full page, and then. 10 spot illustrations or quarter page illustrations nice. and she had this story about um, a story written by a journalist um, about he wanted, his name is Steve Fishman and it was at after the I think the internet bubble burst and he had this business idea and he wanted to become a millionaire by launching a hip hop karaoke web page and um in the story, he wrote about all the, the people, characters from, from the internet startup um, industry and also music producers like, um, what's his name, Russell Simmons from Def Jam mm -hmm. Records. And he was one of the, the people he dealt with. And so, um, yeah, the story was already written. There was a problem. And I told this to, to Michelle, the art director. I said, I can only draw what is in front of me. I, I can't make up scenes. I can't draw from photos. And um, she had a chat with the journalist, and, and he was very generous. He told me he will recreate, he will talk with the people involved, the people I had to draw and to portray, and he said he'll have a chat with them. And so all the drawings I did were basically all these people posing for me. For oh, example, okay. Steve, the, the, the journalist, I could, I went to his office and he was sit, I, I could just draw him whilst he was, was writing in his office. and. We also went to a karaoke bar in the Lower East Side somewhere and um, where he had the original idea and he also invited the friends he used to be together with him. So, so we were just singing karaoke songs and <laughs> drinking and, and I was doing my, my drawings. It was perfect. Wow, that's pretty... Uh, that's going to some lengths to get you what you needed. That's great. It was the perfect assignment and, and I could do this in, in the second semester of, of um, my, my time there. And it was also, at the time, I told you that I got um, a grant, a scholarship from the German Academic Exchange Service, but it was just at the time when um, the euro 
get introduced. And, and the, the money was supposed to, to pay two years in New York, the, the study fees, but also my living expenses or the largest part. But then the, because the euro came in, the German mark lost a lot of its value. And so in the end, my, the money I got would have only covered the first year. Oh, shit. Sure. And I, was, I th- went out to New York and I thought, all right, I'll probably only be able to do one of, out of two years and then I'll go back to New York. Uh, I'll go back to, to Germany. I'll be a mediocre graphic designer. So I was really working super hard. And then I got this assignment. It was very good for my self-confidence. It showed me that there is work out there. I, I, can, mm. I can get the work. And it also got paid well. I got $5,500 for, for the job. Brilliant. And it was massive for me. And it was just the perfect assignment yeah. at the right time. Your turning point. Exactly. What an amazing first yeah. job. Yeah. And so by this point, had you, had you started to annotate your illustrations? Were you using the text at this time? Mm, not really. I made, mm, I made small, very small observations. Mm. I wrote them in there. Hardly any. Maybe just a word or sentence, yeah. short sentence. But this changed in the second year. I went to, I did drawings um, at, um, it's an, I was living in Spanish Harlem and to go to the School of Visual Arts I had to use the subway and just beside the subway station in Harlem there was um, a disused, oh, there, there's a, there was a parking lot and lots of disused uh, cars got deposited there. I think they were just stolen cars and the, the joy riders left the cars there. So we burned out and and I was I love to draw dilapidated industrial scenery. So I thought I'm, I would love to draw these old cars in the parking lot with the kind of typical brownstone New York buildings in the background. Yeah. And um, it was in, in the winter, I think in February I, I took my camping chair there and I got dressed very warm. I was wearing several layers of clothing and I sat down and I drew this this one car wreck. And um, it was maybe 20 minutes into the drawing, then I saw how the car door opened from the inside, and a guy came out. And I thought, what's going on? <laughs> and um, then he introduced himself. And he said, my, my name is Alberto, and I live in this car. And, and I asked him, mm, would you mind if I, I draw you? And <laughs> I said, yeah, it's, it's not a problem, it's as long as you pay me a, a $10 uh, mod- modeling fee. Wow. And I said, all right. So he, he sat down on, on a kind of an old old chair that was, was standing there and um, I just started to draw him and, and he started to talk about his life yeah. and I also asked him questions. I, I've never done this before when I drew people. Oh. And um, he told me that he's homeless, that he came to New York several years ago. He came here to work as a chef in, in, a, in a kitchen, in a restaurant, and but he, he became a drug addict. He lost his job. Then he couldn't pay the rent anymore for his flat. So he ended up on the streets. And um, I found this really interesting. And I didn't really think too much about the interview, but whilst I was drawing him and he told me these things, I, I started to draw, I started to write quotes into the drawing. And um, I think that the next day I showed these drawings um, to my teacher and to the fellow students and in the crit. And they responded very well. I did several of, of these small kind of, I call them visual essays, maybe six, seven, eight, eight drawings. And I did another piece I went to, um, it was after September 11, it was, uh, I went to um, an Italian hairdresser in Spanish Harlem. I walked past this, this barbershop several times before and it looked really cool from the outside. He had this old barber chairs and then he's this old guy with a big nose and a really interesting face and he had lots of um, kind of toys from the 50s and 60s and, and kind of stuffed animals and, and stuffed animal hats in, in the barber shop and <laughs> I, I want to draw this place and there were also these old kind of New Yorkers hanging out there and getting their hair cut and so I, was, I went in there at first was a little bit intimidated as I told you earlier it's, it takes some courage to approach people and yeah. just tell them I'm, I'm an artist. 
and I'm, I'm an illustration student and would you mind if I, I draw in your barbershop and he says no problem so I spent the day drawing there and I was observing the conversations he had and I saw that he's, he made these very racist remarks about Arabs and about Jews, about French people and gay people and I thought oh my god this is really depressing So, but, but I wrote this all down and, and um, yeah, it, it was when I went in there. The first day was actually the day when um, it was shortly after American troops and British troops invaded uh, Afghanistan to oust the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And um, on the day I went in there, the big newspaper headline was um, about a young American who volunteered to fight for the Taliban, and and the Marines that just caught him. And um, so he was an older newspapers and on the covers and then he the the barber I think his name is Claudio he talked with, about this guy and he abused him very badly and um, so I wrote this down in, into the drawings and um, it was also it was, was a nice little portfolio piece and I did another one and I went to uh, the Bronx and I did drawings of again burnt out car bricks. wow and uh, yeah, so, so these were kind of my, my thesis thesis project. My, my thesis teacher back then, um, David Sandlin, he always told me I should tell stories or try to tell stories with mm. this and maybe find one person and, and make a graphic novel style or longer piece. But back then I, I wasn't ready to do this. I, I, at this time I still wanted to learn to draw. I wanted to become a better draftsman. And um, these are just observational drawings in the end with a little bit of text. I never really thought about a, a story mm-hmm. or storyline and um, or to think like a journalist. And um, But you always encouraged me to do that, but I didn't really know at this stage what, what he really means. And <laughs> <laughs> so at the end, these were, again, they were observational drawings with a little bit of text. And um, But... It worked out well. I, uh, during um, when I was still in uh, New York, I, I sent my girlfriend. She is British, so uh, during my holidays, I usually went back to London, and, and she encouraged me to send work to the Guardian, to send a portfolio piece to the Guardian. I thought I told her I'll never get work from the Guardian. They've got the best illustrators, and I, I remember the first time when I went to London. Or to England, and I saw the Guardian newspaper with all the the, the weekends, the Saturday weekend. It was full, around that time, it was full of every um, every supplement. The cover was a massive, beautiful illustration. I thought I'll never get work from them, but she told me send it to them and see what happens. So during a summer holiday in, in London, they they it was Roger Browning, and I, I think I sent it to. The design director, I think it was Mark Porter of the Guardian back then, and he told me I should see Roger Browning and, and Gina Cross to show them the work, and, and it was really nice. It took a lot of time. It was maybe there for an hour. They, they looked at my work, they showed it to all their colleagues, and I think two or three weeks later I got my first job from them. Mm. And uh, this was actually, this was still, whilst I was still studying in, in the second year, and after I graduated from New York, I went to London and I got a lot of work from, from the Guardian. They were very supportive. Mm. Uh, did you, how did you find working with Roger? I, I worked quite... I, he gave me a very early break too. But yeah, he, he was great. He gave me my, my first break. I got my first commissions from him and he gave me a lot of work. I, I, there was a time when I did a job for them every week, sometimes even two, two jobs mm. a week. And um, it was also good because the deadlines were very tight. I did for... Several years I did um, a column for, um, I had to illustrate David Aronovich's column. And I had to do this every, I think every Monday. And, and they gave me the assignment at 10 o'clock or something, or 11 o'clock in the morning. And then I had to deliver something until 4 o'clock. And, <laughs> and I'm, naturally I'm not a fast worker, but it, this was just great for me to mm. work fast. And, and it also it wasn't an assignment that I would have looked for myself. It wasn't a drawing on location assignment. I had to... It was kind of a mix of portrait drawings, but also kind of a little conceptual illustration. And I'm, I'm not strong in this kind of thing, but 
it, it worked alright, I think, for, for three or four years. And, um, and through these assignments, I had a, I, I got also my, my first really nice um, reportage drawings. Or I wouldn't call them reportage. Reportage. It's, it's not reportage illustration, but I got jobs where I had to meet people. Yeah. And so, and also I got jobs where I got encouraged to go out and work a little bit like a journalist too, to meet people, to talk with them, oh, yeah. and to, to gather reference. And I, I need to actually mention that until I finished my degree in, in New York, I, I never really drew from photos. I tried to do that very early in my career, but my father told me, don't, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Draw from real life, otherwise you won't learn anything. So, and I did this religiously until I got my first assignments where I couldn't go out and meet the people or the sceneries I had to draw. And I remember I got approached twice by Rolling Stone magazine just after I, I graduated. And I think the first time um, the art director asked me, she asked me to draw, to draw Bono, Bono from, from you too. And I thought, wow. When am I, when am I going, when when can I meet him? <laughs> when can I go and draw him? And she said, No, 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 no. We're going to send you some photos, and then you'll draw from the photos. And I thought, but I can't draw from photos. I've never done that. I, I, I was a bit stupid back then, and naive. And I, I thought, <laughs> I, I seriously thought that I can't draw from photos, and I turned it down. Yeah. And, and wow. Several months later, she. Contact me again. It was, was the same dilemma. I was on holiday back then too, and I didn't have a computer with me. So, but um, yeah, she said, second strike, third strike, you're out." <laughs> but she never contacted me again. It was, and I always wanted to work with her. Um, she, she was, I can say, one of the best, possibly the, the best art director that um, the Rolling Stone ever had, and. Um, yeah, I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's a testament. That's a testament that she came back. You know, that's that's kind yeah. of uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. good. It's um, I think you hit on a really valuable thing about about sharing your work and letting others see it. Like when you said about making the notes, the guy in the uh, Bernal car. Yeah, you know, um, I think especially when we're studying and when we're trying to find our our, our way. I mean, I don't think it ever changes, but especially then, I think it's really important to put this thing out there because people's different viewpoints, people's experience all come into this. And someone might see that one tiny thing that you're doing naturally yeah. and you never considered might be the, the way forward and yeah. it just changes everything. And yeah. I find those moments really kind of yeah. inspiring and heartwarming, but they don't happen unless you put it out there and you yeah. accept yeah. that there may be criticism yeah. and some people might not like it. Yeah, and having good teachers is so, so valuable. And especially okay. with our work, a teacher can't do a lot. You, you've got to, you've got to do the work. Yeah. You need to sit down the thousands of hours and draw until you get your first assignment. But a teacher can guide you and put you into yes. the right room. Doesn't need to do a lot. Yeah. Just he needs he or she needs to tweak yes. your work and point in a direction and. Mm-hmm. Very much so, and they can see things in your personality and the way how you behave and. Yeah. And you know, I think good good teachers know the difference between maybe a really shy uh, introvert and, and yeah. maybe someone who's quite loud and, and lots of energy. Yeah. And, yeah. and a, good, a good teacher will know how to handle the two differently. You yeah. know? Yeah. That's quite important. Yeah. But yeah, so the, yeah, the Guardian stuff. I, mean, I found the same thing. It was the intensity, the speed, the turnaround. I was doing sports stuff, and sometimes I had one hour, and this is like, oh, yeah. and, you know, shaking like a leaf. But actually, you you respond, and you and that, as you say, with the photography. Yeah. I guess that's a great way to you know to, to break through that barrier. Yeah, but when you've got to do this high, quick turnaround, high pressure jobs, you've got these sweaty armpits moment where you really sit there and you feel how the, the sweat is running down your armpits. But it's also it's the whole that's the when, when the adrenaline comes in, it's mm-hmm. kind of the survival yeah. thing. Yeah, you you do your best work when you're under stress. I yeah. guess but when you've got to do it. Absolutely, yeah. And this is something I miss now when, when I draw from I'm see I'm super focused I'm still focused when I do my work here but then I'm out there in, on location mm. you need to be so sharp you, I, I see everything I notice everything what I see around me I, I take photos of everything and I conduct the interviews and you can really feel how sharp 
you are and how, how switched on you are and because mm. you, you really need to be yeah. focused when, when you're on vacation and uh, yeah. is it important to that end is it important for you when you're interviewing people to, to really to be in that moment and to pick up on all the nuances the body language the, the way a person it, does that become a factor in your work to, to, to kind of pick up on their emotion and, and, and all of these facets of course you pick up the emotions the thing is with, with the drawings I've been doing so far is um, the people I draw I don't spend a lot of time with them I, I usually when I did the work for, for the Guardian I, I spent maybe an hour maybe two or three hours with them and then with some of the refugees I met for, for the Syrian refugee project I spent a day maybe two two or three days with them and um, you've got more time to pick out the nuances in there mm-hmm kind of behavior and the attitude but um, yeah the, the beginning I, I probably need to, to mention too when I did these jobs for, for Roger for um, the Aronovich column but then I also had the maybe I think I was working for the Academy for half a year or, or a year then I started to get more interesting assignments from them they, they asked me to do you, you, you remember the the G2 specials for, for Christmas and for the summer holidays, they had uh, a special where they asked all their illustrators to do one drawing about Christmas. Oh, one, yes, one I, do about, I do remember those. Yeah. I don't think that... I'm not sure if they still do this. I, I don't I'm think, not sure. Uh, I haven't seen one for a while. Probably. At least they haven't asked me for long. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and they asked me to do this several times. And, and they asked me to... I think the first assignment was they asked me to do something about... Christmas, half a page, and um, I was still in New York back then, I didn't really know what to do, I was walking around the Lower East Side again, and I was walking past the soup kitchen, and I saw the homeless people getting their, their lunch there, and there was also a big figure of a Santa Claus, a kitschy Santa Claus figure, and I thought, oh, there's a Christmas theme, and, and the guys in there, they looked really interesting, so so. Again, I took my courage together. I went in there, and I approached one of the. First, I asked the, the kind of the guy from from the, the charity if it's okay if I, I draw here. He told me yes, as long as the people I want to draw don't have any problem with it, it's fine. So I approached one man. He was wearing. He was an older guy. He had a, He looked like a little bit like a gangster. He was wearing a, a suit and a kind of a black hat and. Um, I said, oh my God, I, I, I want to draw this, this guy. He looks really interesting. And he was also he was uh, filling out lottery tickets. And I asked him if I, he would mind me, me drawing him. And I drew him and um, I also asked him about his, what he was, about his, his life. I asked him why he became homeless. And he told me about his uh, earlier life. And he was a sailor in the merchant navy. And then he kind of got into trouble. He lost his work again. And... Um, now he's, he lives in a shelter close by. Um, yeah, I did a, drawing, a large drawing of him and um, wrote down transcripts from, from the interview into the drawing. And I think th- this one was also a very important uh, drawing for my career because this was the first time where I used photographic reference in an illustration. I went in there the first day I drew him but I wasn't happy with the likeness he was moving around a lot and, and the drawing was really bad so I, I thought hmm, I'm going to buy a digital camera and I want to take photos of this guy so I went back the next day drew again a little bit and I took photos of, of him and then mm-hmm. in, in the evening I went home put the photo on my computer and um, drew from the screen the first time and um, I was really happy with the result I could do a large drawing and obviously he wasn't moving around and I, the likeness was, was really good and mm. then I also used uh, the photo I had as a, a reference for the colouring so I got the, the shading and the light done very, very well so I was quite happy with this and, and mm. since then on I um, used this technique so, so sometimes just these things just come from necessity I, I think you just sometimes realise that actually um, kind of Going to be limited, or I'm not going to be able to do these things unless I unless I make that change, and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and then you know things happen. 
So even up to this point, right, Olivier's got stories. He's got so many cool tales uh, and interesting characters that he's met along the way. And what a great kind of organic, haphazard way to arrive at such a style. Um, but I'm interested in hearing your journey and, and what were your pivotal points. We've got part two coming up uh, just after Christmas on January the 2nd, where Olivier will pick up from his prolific work with The Guardian and take us on a mind-blowing storytelling journey of his work Um a mafia soup, mafioso supergrass, um, where there was a contract on this guy's head. He's going to tell us that story. Um, he's going to talk about his work on refugee camps in Koz, in Calais, in Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, really important, socially dynamic work that I think has to be done. I think as creatives, I like to see us getting involved and shouting about the right things, spreading the right message. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to split this over two episodes and really get into what makes Olivier tick, what makes him such a a loved practitioner of the arts. Um, And I want to know your thoughts, so do let us know on the Twitter at ArrestAllMimics. Also on the Instagram at ArrestAllMimics. Give us a follow on there. Get commenting. Share the love. Um... Drop us a little review, please, on the iTunes. There's a good few up there now, but it's always good to have more to keep the endorsement going. If you like what I do on the show, please do that on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Uh, But thanks for listening in. Thanks again to the sponsors, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk, and support from the Association of Illustrators, um, who are no strangers, of course, to Olivier's work, winner of the World Illustration Awards in 2015 for his Harper's Magazine uh, work on refugees. So... Thanks, guys. Uh, Part two coming up. Have a wonderful Christmas. Thanks for all your support in 2017. And I'll see you in the new year. Nice one.